Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from across the Living Faith Fellowship and those professors specifically that are instructing in LFBI. And we have conversations uh, week after week about all kinds of different ideas, theological concepts and ideas, issues of church history, issues of missions, leadership, and we try to have a conversation that will be edifying and encouraging to you, the believer, and strengthen you in your faith. Um, now, this week, we're going to be having a, a conversation specifically about ideas. And I, and I think that most Christians would agree when you, you look around at the world, uh, you can see conflict all around you, uh, people who are in disagreement. Uh, you see people, uh, you know, forming factions and tribes over different differing ideologies and and there's just tons of of conflict in our world and at the center of all of those little skirmishes and the major ones as well are very important and distinct ideas that that one can pinpoint if if one's paying close attention they can they can find those things and they can pinpoint the specific ideas and motivations behind the men and movements uh, that we see and so in today's episode uh, we will be discussing the impact of these men and these movements, specifically uh, uh, men and movements that come from the 19th, 20th, and 21st century, and the impact and influence that we're feeling today based on the ideas that came out of that and how they came into being within the culture, the broader uh, uh, social imaginary, if you will. And in order to have that conversation, we have invited Pastor Kenny Morgan to join us again. Uh, pastor Kenny Morgan is a pastor here at MBT and is the professor of the speech and reasoning class here at LFBI. And so welcome, Kenny. Thanks for joining me again. Glad to be here, professor, one of the professors well, of the speech and reasoning class. <laughs> your name is is the one on yes. the on the syllabus. So which ultimately just means that you you get to be in charge and you get to make all the decisions, which is a relief for me. So thank you. Yeah, thank for, you for, for being that did. guy. <laughs> um now I'm going to start by just asking you, in your class, you discuss the ideas of men mm -hmm. being transformative. So they, they start with men and they become movements. Yes. This is an important concept uh, in the class. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could explain to us just a little bit of what that means. Man, so we, you know, once we get to this point in, in the class, we've spent several weeks looking at Western philosophers. So mm -hmm. we, we've looked at those men we've exposed their isms, we've broken them down, and I mean, several of them, right? Mm -hmm. But then once you get to around the, the, the mid 19th century, you start to see a shift from, from that to now movements. Mm -hmm. Now you start to see very clear, specific movements that are happening. So for example, we know in the, in the 1950s to 60s, we, we see the civil rights movement mm -hmm. um, that emerged, right? 1955, the, the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. which, is, which is interesting in terms of what our interest at the time was as a, as a, as a nation. Mm -hmm. The US government was very concerned with the global spread of communism. Right. Which yeah. really motivated their interest and involvement mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. war. Yeah. Uh, you get into uh, the 60s and you see the, the the second wave, if you would, of the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. Right. So now that no, sorry, not, not the 50s, that, that would have been the the 80s and 90s. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. where, where you begin to, to see the second wave of, of, of yeah, that. Absolutely. 
uh, you keep going and then you get to 1989 and now you start seeing European countries begin to get away from communism. Mm -hmm. They begin to overthrow those communist regimes. So again, that's, that's a big movement. Mm -hmm. And then in 1992, something happens that was at the time just completely brand new, but you have now the World Wide Web that is yeah. available for personal use sure. that completely changed the world and changed mm -hmm. Western culture. Uh, obviously, in September the 11th of 2001, you, you have that very dark day in our American history now mm -hmm. where you have the, the, the terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. I mean, we have seen those sorts of things, but that's always been somewhere else. Yeah. But a major significant terrorist attack mm -hmm. happened on American soil right. and got the attention of the world for sure. And what it showed was that America is is not invincible, which mm -hmm. is interesting. And then of course, in, in 2009, something happens that was really big for our country. And that is the election of President Barack Obama, former mm -hmm. President Barack Obama, yeah. who was the first African-American president of our great country. And so all of those movements, they represent a shift in thinking yeah. and Western thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things that you're pointing out is that, um, you know, throughout history, you know, history is marked with movements and happenings mm -hmm. and things th throughout all of history, right? And we can pinpoint those types of things throughout all of history. But there is something unique about the 19th and 20th century, now the 21st century, mm -hmm. about the, the rapidity at which things change oh, yeah. uh, because of obviously things like the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. and, and technological revolutions that yes. we've seen and um, the interconnectedness of the world. Yes. Uh, and so based upon all those things, change happens at a very rapid rate. And uh, some of these thoughts, they, they get into the nooks and the crannies of the culture much faster than they would otherwise, I, I think. I mean, is that a proper assessment? Extremely proper. Yeah. So maybe you can explain to us some of the major men of these movements. Uh, you know, and, and in the class, you, t you talk about three men in particular mm -hmm. that affect uh, the way we, the, the way that we see the world. Uh, and then obviously these men's ideas manifest themselves in movements, recycled movements over and over again. So you've, we've got Freud, we've got Darwin, and we've got Marx primarily. Yeah. Maybe just give us a brief introduction to why these three men in particular are so important mm -hmm. and then how they impact, uh, everything that we're going to look at kind of today and, and in the course. Sure. So Darwin's, uh, influence, and again, this is very, very high level and, and it was, it was kind of overwhelming to try and and talk about these men oh, in sure. 90 minutes sure. as much as it is now but 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 Darwin his influence is is still being felt very heavily today mm -hmm. as our american culture in particular it's very darwinistic is darwinistic socially yeah is darwinistic morally where you see this this mantra of only the strong survive, mm -hmm. right? It's kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. It's a dog eat dog world. Right. It's every man for himself. Yeah. And, and that is fleshing itself out politically, socially, morally, you see it. Yeah. Um, Freud, he would be extremely proud of what is happening in Western culture today, where there is this very bold expression of sexual practice. Mm -hmm. uh, anything from homosexuality to all sorts of sexual perversion that the scriptures abhor very strongly. Right, and the, uh, the tying of identity to sexuality, especially I think he would be maybe surprised even by how effective uh, we've, we've made 
who we are and inextricable to to who we've chosen to have sex with. I absolutely, mean, it's pretty amazing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, and so, you the, again, th those men they were seismic, and they mm -hmm. are seismic in their influence today. Mm -hmm. uh, you see it in our school system. You even see it in our churches. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really frightening. And so, you mentioned Darwin, and you mentioned Freud, mm -hmm. and and what about Marx? I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more in our interview today. But, yeah. but Marx, who is he, and and what was his influence? Yeah, maybe? so. Marx was, uh, he was a unique philosopher in, in that at the core, he was a political philosopher, mm -hmm. right? He was born in the early 1800s. He was a German political philosopher. And of course, his claim to fame is, is the Communist Manifesto that mm -hmm. he wrote in 1848. But at, at heart, Marx was a political revolutionist mm -hmm. who really had a zeal to overthrow capitalism and replace it with socialistic and communistic ideas. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to talk about why those things are dangerous. Yeah. But but each of these men um, were very very uh, vocal about their atheistic yes they were perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Darwin maybe at times would refer to himself as an agnostic, perhaps, sure. but but ultimately he functioned as an atheist, and and certainly Freud and Marx were very proud in their atheism, and and that's worked itself out within their ism, within mm. their perspectives, within their philosophies. Well, and that's and I think that's very interesting. So you know, it, yeah, uh, to your point, Darwin uh, on record is was considered or or identified as an agnostic, but but in speech and writing mm -hmm. and in practice, it definitely seemed atheistic. I think what's really what I find most troubling about Darwin in terms of how people have peddled and how they peddle uh, his philosophies or his conclusions, if you would, mm -hmm. natural selection, is that even in his in his book, Natural Selection, right, or Origin of the Species, sorry, mm -hmm. he and he himself admits that there were things that he didn't have answers to. Of course. Right. Right. Yeah. Like he, and so, but yet people peddle or present or propagate his doctrine as mm -hmm. if it was 100% proven and factual. Yeah. If it was truly scientific, yeah. which it's not. E even today. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a, a scientific conversation mm -hmm. to ha be had around that, mm -hmm. the, the way that science perceives itself and the way that it treats the theoretical. Yes. Um, there's a lot to say about that. But I think one of the things that's most interesting, and I think it's the thing that impacts the the, the social imaginary of the, the West in particular the most, is this idea of progressivism. Mm -hmm. So at the at the core of evolution is this idea that that biologically, physiologically, uh, that creation, he doesn't use that word, mm -hmm. but but nature gets better. Right. It, it, it purges itself of things that are useless mm -hmm. and it's constantly working towards a better end, which fits right in with Nietzsche and the Superman and all these other yes. perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately uh, it, it affects how we see ourselves because if we are progressing, mm -hmm. right? And that's the end goal, then we should be making decisions. We should be deliberate about how we want to progress and we should be actively purging out traditional mm -hmm. ideas in favor of ideas that better suit uh, what we want and we want to achieve. And so like Darwin and, and, and Freud and Marx and all these guys have a huge impact on the way the subconscious of our culture and the way that we interact with one another and the way we think about what we're trying to achieve as, as societies, I, I feel like. Sure. And I would even say to that, and, and 
is, is that so even in 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 those conclusions they're not scientific no right and that's why we I always say the theory is at best it's a theory mm-hmm. it's, it's not a science mm-hmm. and scientific laws don't support it particularly the second law of thermodynamics that mm-hmm. says we're not progressing right like everything is in a downward trajectory everything's in a is 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 is, is moving downward it's mm-hmm. not upward or getting better so not even true science supports it right so, yeah so there, there's a lot to say about that and in the class you you do mm-hmm. cover quite a bit and we don't have time for all of that sure. today but but i do want to get at the heart of some of the the things that that you feel like are mm-hmm. immediate immediate in in affecting our culture even right now and um and they have roots with these men and these movements but but one of the things you talk about is globalization mm-hmm. and globalism sure. maybe you can tell us what the difference between those two things are sure. and why they are impacting uh, our perceptions of the world today sure so when we're talking about globalization we're talking about the interdependence now of nations mm-hmm. who are now interdependent of one another uh, financially, where they're working together through trade, goods and services, investments, where now you can live in the United States and you can have financial interests in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. You can have banks and offshore accounts and things like that. And so so that's globalization. It's, it's very financial driven yeah. or financial in nature. Whereas globalism is now very political, where nations are now starting to engage politically, right? For example, you can talk about the the European Union, the EU, that is mm-hmm. comprised of 27 European mm-hmm. nations who have a very large global political presence, including in the Middle East and and as things that pertains to, to Israel and, and and things like that, and so. Uh, that would be the, the the major difference between the two. So with globalization and globalism, I think one of the things that's really important to know about that is that um, that some of the markers of of that is shared interests between governments. Yes, uh, when they find themselves kind of on the same page conceptually of what they want to get done, but then also the advent of the internet right. and the ability for, for people and countries to communicate with each other at a highly rapid rate. Mm-hmm. And this interconnectivity uh, makes globalization and globalism kind of thrive. It, it, it promotes it. Now, we can't avoid that. It's here. That mm-hmm. interconnectivity is here. We can we can speak with anybody. You know, there's there's kids right now playing video games with kids in Japan right. at, at, at the hit of a button. Right. It's and that, that interconnectivity is here and present. There's nothing we can do about that. But the way that that manifests itself in political and social terms can be dangerous um, if those shared interests are, are dangerous ones. Correct. And so maybe you can talk about from a biblical perspective what you see and why globalism and, and, and globalization can potentially have a negative impact on uh, the world and then also on faith. Sure. So I think that, that, that's a lot. I, I, I think for us, I, I think if we go back and, and we consider the Abrahamic covenant, okay, right? Where God says, okay, I, I will bless those who bless you and I will, I will curse those who curse you, right? And so for many, many years, the nation of Israel was our strongest ally as mm-hmm. a country. Yeah. And you could see that there was a very intentional approach to blessing and supporting the nation of Israel. And historically, it's really hard to refute. 
how well America has done and how blessed America has been as a nation when we have done that. Right. But now That's, there's not just a coincidence there. Oh, no, it's not no. far yeah. from it. Right. But now as we begin to and as we have grown in our activity globally, globalism politically, OK, and even globalization politically. Well, now some of those interests and some of those agendas of those that we are in league with are not pro-Israel. Mm -hmm. And so now that's where it begins to take a negative turn for us as a nation because God meant that. Yeah. Right. And so now if we are going to back away from that and even if it's indirectly, we're supporting an agenda that is aimed to curse Israel. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to fill that. Right. We're going to reap that. Right. So, you know, alliances yes. that maybe intentionally or unintentionally undermine our relationship with Israel that will ultimately have a negative impact because God promised it so. Yeah. Right? Alliances always have consequences yeah. one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. yeah. So maybe explain prophetically the the tie between globalization mm -hmm. and and future happenings, yeah. things that we see in scripture that are, that are to come. How does it play a role? Sure. So globalization and globalism are very necessary prophetically, mm -hmm. right? When, when you see things unfold. But essentially what they've done is globalization and globalism, they've basically, they shrank the world, mm -hmm. right? To your point, you talked about, you could have some kid here in Kansas City playing a video game with a kid in Japan. Mm -hmm. That was unheard of right. 50 years ago, yeah. right? A hundred years ago, believers, you know, not that they didn't believe that biblical prophecy, that there is going to be an antichrist. And okay, I get that. But it was kind of a stretch to think about, well, how's that going to work? Right. How is he right. going to be able to have that kind of influence and that kind of reach? Well, what you've seen is now the world, it's just everything is now it's it's coming into one. Mm -hmm. And through globalization and globalism, you're seeing a theme emerge and the theme is one oneness. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah, we, you hear things about a one world currency and there is growing momentum for that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you've got U.S. Uh, economists who are basically saying that the, the euro is is definitely at some point. It's not a matter of if, but it's when it replaces the U.S. dollar hmm. as the world currency. I mean, these are financial people who are seeing this. But you're also seeing a, a thirst for one world government and a one world faith and all of that. And so through this, what you're seeing is, is the world is being massaged mm -hmm. to receive the Antichrist. You can mm -hmm. see it happening before our eyes. Even just the phrase Antichrist right. brings about in a lot of people's ideas a, a million different ideas, right. um, different perspectives. So so from your perspective, more importantly, a biblical perspective, when we when we talk about the Antichrist, what what is that specifically that connection between a one world system? And the Antichrist himself, maybe describe that for us a little yeah. bit to get our mind wrapped around it. Sure. So obviously, at, at the highest level, the agenda of the Antichrist will be to sit in the, re, the rebuilt temple and show himself as God. Mm -hmm. Okay. And of course, we believe that at the midpoint of the tribulation that that takes place. And 
And that's where he begins to say, hey, I'm God and you will worship me or you will die. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the agenda will be to have the entire world bow at his feet and obey him. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, they will be killed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the agenda. And so his agenda is, again, so we find the ultimate fulfillment of oneness in his agenda mm-hmm. but that is the groundwork is being laid for the world to accept that so the more unified we are as a world the more singular our perspectives are or more importantly the more singular our systems are then the more likely we are going to be to um, accept a singular figure to rule over uh, the earth and again, these are really big ideas. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Christians are really familiar with idea these ideas. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about antichrists, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, figures that are have set themselves up in opposition mm-hmm. throughout history, in opposition to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could be any, but this could be a professor in your classroom, sure. uh, or it could be a, a king or a ruler, or even we talk about Hitler being as a, t- a type sure. of antichrist. Absolutely. But ultimately, the Bible talks about a capital A antichrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that's going to come and deceive the world. And so even though for some people it's hard to believe uh, in the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, this figurehead is is a crucial component to prophecy. And, and as a matter of fact, when we look around the world and we see the evidence of what's happening, these systems such as globalism, mm-hmm. globalism and globalization, mm-hmm. we see a preparation yes, taking place for his presence. Absolutely, we do. We yeah. do. And and you you use a word that I think is very important to the discussion and you said unified. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really so when you talk about oneness, you're talking about unity, unity of thought, unity of politics, unity of across the board, uh, unity of of what we consider or call truth, which is very interesting because for us, we know what truth is. It's God's word, right? Sanctify unto thy truth, thy word is truth, right? So, mm-hmm. so we get that. And so for us, there can be no erosion of truth if we're to have unity. Right. Like we, th- yeah. that's not an option. Yeah. But in the world, there must be an erosion of truth to achieve unity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's what's happening is where you're seeing people just throw out their values, their morals, their their politics, their ideologies, mm-hmm. whatever we got to dump to embrace this yes. new one world agenda, yeah, 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 yeah. let's do it. We're yeah, all in absolutely. and that's very anti-Christ. Yeah, who do we have to throw away to make sure yeah. that that we can actually come together? It's right. so interesting because, um, you know, it, some of the, the biggest postmodern markers or ideas or concepts are like pluralism yes. and relativism. Mm-hmm. Right, and so with pluralism, it's it says that every religious faith system or every perspective is welcome and in its own way is right. If it's Mm -hmm. right for that person, then it's right, and we should accept the plurality of worship in our world. Mm -hmm. And then relativism goes even further, and it says that that you know beyond that, all of these ideas are kind of relativistic anyway. And so what all of it amounts to is your perspective, and 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 perspectives are good. And, and they're they're valued and they're welcome and the more perspectives the better but both of those ideas end up becoming that that unified yes. thing like eventually pluralism and relativism will become singularism yes. because that's the primary obje- objective is to get us all unified that's and it. harmonized and on the same pa- same page and singing the same tune and that is a prime environment for the Antichrist. As you as you give that breakdown, it it provokes me to think about something that the late Adrian Rogers once said. 
about our great country, the United States of America, but he said, the new virtue in America is tolerance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he could not have been more correct. Yeah. And that's it. It's like we have to and we must tolerate all systems of thought, mm -hmm. politics, ideologies, agendas, religions, faiths, you name it. And he, he was dead on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Andrew Ong. I'm a pastor uh, here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I'm also a graduate of Living Faith Bible Institute. So I would uh, first preface to say that nothing substitute, you know, uh, disciple-making local church. So what LFBI would add to that is, is that knowledge piece that is so vital, uh, you know, in this world because there is so many false doctrine all over the place. And so to be equipped in LFBI has helped me to filter through a lot of the noise uh, in, in Christianity and a lot of different false doctrine, if you will, uh, and know what is the Bible saying about this matter. In terms of ministry, it has definitely uh, prepared me uh, to be a better minister, to be a better uh, preacher, uh, to be uh, more well-versed uh, with my Bible. And so um, I would highly recommend uh, if you are someone who is looking for a very high quality uh, school uh, to learn the Bible, uh, I, I cannot recommend enough uh, living, you know, living Faith Bible Institute. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org slash support. So we've briefly discussed, just briefly, we'll cover it more in the class, but right. we've discussed the impact of economic politics and on the world and even from a biblical perspective as, as much as we, we could. But let's turn our attention a little bit more towards social politics and, and maybe... Uh, take the, the moment that we live in this this kind of cultural moment that we're in right now and break it down and explain to us from a biblical perspective what it is that we're seeing and and what's the impact um on the world and, and on our worldview sure i think we have to go back and piggyback off of what we were just discussing in terms of you know i i think it would be very hard to refute at this point that america wants to play on the global political stage. Yeah. That's very obvious. Sure. Okay, that's very critical. And so as we do that, we are learning what we have to do to be able to do that effectively, mm -hmm. right? So we want to fit in. We want to fit in. Yeah. Right? And there there is an agenda that we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's in its oneness, yeah. right? That's the global agenda and and obviously we talked about what that points to. Mm -hmm. So whether America realizes it or not in terms of where this is ultimately going or what it ultimately means is irrelevant to them. Right. It's relevant to us because of our understanding of prophetic scripture. Mm -hmm. So what what you what you've had is now America has taken a very, at least politically, America has taken um, a very opportunistic approach or response to two major issues that are happening in our country right now. Mm -hmm. One is the coronavirus pandemic, mm -hmm. and the other 
uh, has been, you know, episodes of social injustice that, you know, is on the TV every day. Yeah. Whether the George Floyd trial in Minneapolis and and the others that have happened before and after it, uh, those things get a lot of attention mm-hmm. from a, from a media perspective. And when I talk about it being opportunistic for the U.S. government, I, I say that for this reason. But from in my opinion, in my humble belief, mm-hmm. you know, my reasoning, um, this is an opportunity now for the United States of America to convince the American people that our culture, our society as we've known it, is completely broken. Mm-hmm. It's completely broken, and it demands overhaul. Yeah, we are sick as a nation. We're sick morally. We're sick racially. We're sick financially. I mean, any 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 term you want to use, we're broken. Mm-hmm. And so now, I mean, look at the coronavirus pandemic. Look, look at how awful that is. Look at how many hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives and 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 it becomes a moral issue in terms of how it's it's presented in the media and how it's dealt with mm-hmm. and then now look at the social injustices that are being perpetrated on african americans and and look at how the the poor are, are being monopolized and mistreated and abused and used mm-hmm. and and again that's it's very Marxist in view when it gets to that in terms of how we look at the those who have not and right. their victims yeah. of those who have and and so it, this is an opportunity now to move America in a socialist direction mm-hmm. by by basically bouncing off of those two issues to say hey look we don't have a choice now we've got to go this way because mm-hmm. the answer is found in socialism Mm. So, you know, I'm hearing you, you're, you're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And yeah. I'm hearing that. And um, this idea that, that, I mean, we certainly there is racism in our country. Absolutely. Um, and there are things that are broken yes. because people are broken. Uh, there are broken things in every country. There will always be broken things everywhere people are. Correct. Um, but, but we do have racial issues in our country, like might like most countries do. Right. Um, but you're saying that you see that, that some of those things are being exploited. Yes. Um, and they're being treated disingenuinely because at least for a handful of political movers and shakers, there is an agenda to bring us to uh, a place where everything is broken and now we need something to, to replace what we have. And, right. and capitalism is a problem. Uh, the same way, you know, Marx talked about looking around and, and surveying, you know, Germany at the time. Mm-hmm. Everything is broken and this is how we fix it. And that script is being, you know, brought up into a 21st century context. Is that is that a good summary of what I'm you're absolutely say? right? It's being repeated and followed, I would say, to the letter. Maybe you can uncover for us some of the the problems then, because I think for a lot of people, they they see that the, the average person and even a lot of Christians, uh, particularly those who um, emphasize social justice, but but I think people see the Black Lives Matter movement as being important and valuable. And um, I, I think it's important that maybe we take a moment 
maybe you can give us some insight into why this movement has maybe ulterior motives that don't align themselves with what a lot of people assume. Sure. So you, as you always do, you, you always say a lot and give me a lot to think about and respond to. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Oh no, you're good. It's, yeah. it's just it's I, a big I, question. I always enjoy the, the, those discussions, but but I think to your point, you I think you were very right on in that there's always been social injustice. There's mm-hmm. always been racism. There's always been it's the byproduct of sin. Mm-hmm. Like there's name the name the country, name the culture, and you're going to find it after Genesis chapter three, mm-hmm. when there is a fall in the garden and now everybody is born in Adam's image. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's welcome to a sinful humanity. Right. And so ultimately Christ comes, right, to die for the sins of humanity, to be buried and raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's the answer. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It's because the problem is not social injustice. The problem is not who's rich and who's poor and and who's educated, who's not, class issues, all that. Mm-hmm. None of that is that's not those aren't the problem or right. The problem is sin. Mm -hmm. And so the answer must be the gospel. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we can never get away from that. And, and, and let me just speak if I can. And not that, not that I feel that I'm entitled or that I'm, I'm an expert because I am a black man, but that is something that I've had to make sure I overcome in my own thinking. Mm -hmm. Because just because I'm a black man doesn't, entitled me to be angry about injustice. It doesn't entitle me to take on this victim mentality that says, well, look at everything that's going on and how we're being treated. It's the moment I start going down that road. Well, now I am becoming disinterested in my stewardship of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? I am now starting to look at people as black people, white people, or whatever people versus are they saved or are they lost? Yeah. That's it. And it's easy at that point to align yourself with a political persuasion uh, or even your race right. uh, over your identity in Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Before I am anything or anyone, by the grace of God, for the glory of God alone, I am immensely proud to say I'm in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. Yeah. Because that's what the Bible says about me. Yeah. I'm in Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. I'm a son of God, right? I've been made to sit together in heavenly places. That's yeah. who I am yeah. in Jesus Christ. And so anything after that, I agree with Paul, is dung, okay? Yeah. But so now when you, you know, with with the the emergence of, of Black Lives Matter and, and movements like it, but Black Lives Matter in particular, um, they've gotten a lot of press, mm-hmm. right? Especially these last, you know, 18 months. Um, this group was founded in 2013, and and what really catches my attention more than anything is um, the founders of this movement have been quoted as saying they are trained Marxist, mm-hmm. and and that's of great concern to me, yeah, because of I know what that means and 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 where that goes, and because at at the core, what what we find in that statement is that. At heart, they are political revolutionists mm-hmm. who believe very deeply that this country, as we have always known it and everything we think about it, it needs to be overhauled. And as a matter of fact, I remember one of their, their, their leaders saying on national TV that, Hey, if we have to, we'll burn this whole thing to the ground. 
Mm-hmm. That's the mentality, mm-hmm. right? And so that that really speaks to the heart and the spirit of the movement. But for us, in reality, we know that. I mean, I have I I can never I can't point anywhere in history where there has been lasting and sustaining change that was the result of a political movement mm-hmm. or social movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where where the hearts of of people, their hearts were changed, mm-hmm. their lives were turned upside down. They became better people as a result of this social agenda or programming. I just mm-hmm. and and the reason and that doesn't surprise me because if I believe scripture, I understand there's only one thing that really changes people, and that's belief in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Them becoming a son of God, where they have the indwelling of God's spirit and they have God's word that totally turns them upside down for the glory of God. Right, right. And um, maybe here it'd be a good opportunity to say that there's nothing particularly biblical about being a capitalist sure. or being an American Correct. or even you know valuing the Constitution. There's not anything particularly biblical about those things. But one of the things that's crucial to the Christian worldview is this idea of living peaceably. Yes. And the thing that we see in socialist or communist countries, just as we survey, take a survey of the last 200 years, is we find that in those places, Christianity is always stifled. Yes. And in many cases, it's persecuted against because, again, at the heart of Marxism and socialism is atheism. Yes. And and big government uh, demands um, a focused ideology, a very focused uh, view and a high view of government, and in a lot of these places, it goes as far. Like in China, it goes as mm-hmm. far as 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 surplanting God, the yes. concept of God specifically, with the the idea of government is almost divine in nature. Yes, and so what we say is best, right. and so you know we're not we're not we're not trying to align ourselves politically no. in this conversation. What no. we're trying to do is say what is best for Christianity to function. Mm-hmm. And how do Christians align themselves in such a way that says that these ideas are particularly unbiblical, and in order to get the gospel done, we want to move or further ideas that that allow us to do that? Am, yeah. am I encompassing that the right way? I believe you are. I believe you are. I, I think I think what's critical is, and again, I think you've you've been touching on this, alluding to it throughout the conversation so far. But I think it's very important for us to understand that national political ideologies have direct consequences, not just on a society, but on the church. Mm-hmm. They do. And so when you talk about socialism and you talk about communism, that is never in the best interest of the church. Right. Because wherever socialism has emerged and wherever it emerges, it always equals the loss of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so wherever that is true, then now what the church is challenged with is maintaining autonomy mm-hmm. because in a socialistic situation or government, uh, the church is going to now struggle to operate autonomously. Yeah. Right. So now the government wants to regulate, okay, what we say and what we don't say, what we do and what we don't do. This is one of the reasons why some churches were very concerned with the government's involvement at the height of the of the COVID pandemic in terms of regulating, you know, if we could actually meet in person or not. And yeah. if we can meet, how many people can meet? Right. And this is what it needs to look like because 
unfortunately, some, I mean, it, it, it's, not a, it's not beyond the stretch of imagination. Again, if everything is moving in a socialist direction, um, now you can find yourself giving ground that you can't get back. Right, yeah. Yeah, and so what we're talking about is, is not a mask thing. Right. It has very little to do with masks. Exactly. Who cares, right? right. Yeah. The concern is overreach. Yes. Now, again, we don't want to, we want to make a d d distinguishment between fear mm -hmm. and concern. Correct. Right. So as believers, we ought not fear, regardless right. of our circumstances. We know we fear the Lord and he has power over all things. And ultimately he has the answer and the solution, regardless of the outcomes that we suffer or endure or face. But as thinkers, as people with a Bible and with a brain, we have the ability to to discern when things right. smell fishy. Yes. And uh, the overreach that we saw, I think for a lot of pastors, a lot of believers was concerning. And uh, and it goes takes us back to even like right now, we're facing the Equality Act, right? right. There, this is the big conversation mm -hmm. right now among pastors especially are looking at this Equality Act and saying, uh, if the government is demanding that, um, that the LGBTQ plus community are able to use whatever restroom that they prefer, mm -hmm. what kind of quandary does that put the church in? Right. Who has a position on that topic? Right. And if if that is an overreach, well then judicially over time, are we gonna be facing a situation where when we're preaching from God's word, um, is that going to constitute as hate speech? Right. Right, which is this this other conversation, right? Is that when the go government is overreaching and making determinations about what can and can't be said in the pulpit, well, that's at that point we're no different than than China, correct? Which is what the the Christians and the believers in China face is constant, constant overreach, oversight, inspection, and um, you know, persecution because sure. of it. And I and I think that and again, so now now we get into you know you know, voting and elections. And, and again, I, I think we do have to understand that elections have consequences. They always have, they always mm -hmm. do, they always will. I think for us as believers, when we talk about voting, right? And again, whether you vote or not, that's between you and the Lord and how you vote, that's your choice as well. Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm coming from right now is, again, if we are to be biblicist, well, then we want to vote from a biblical worldview perspective. Mm -hmm. In other words, I want the candidate that is going to give us as the church the best position to live the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Now, you can say, well, yeah, but what about this social issue or that social issue? Yeah, I agree with you. It's an issue. But here's the thing. We have the answer, and the answer is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and so what I need is I need to be in a culture where I'm free to deliver. Yeah. That. Yeah. What we're concerned about is the free course of, exactly. of, of, of the word of God and exactly. the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly. what we're concerned about. Because we know that the government isn't ultimately going to fix it. Right. Because they never have. No. My hope was never in Donald Trump and it's not in Joe Biden. No. Now, biblically, I understand my obligation to men like that. Mm -hmm. I am to pray for them. I am to honor them. And I get that. And so mm -hmm. praise God. No, no issues there. Yeah. Um, but I do, my heart is to, is to have a, a governmental culture where the church is free to be autonomous. Mm. So, you know, in closing, again, all of this that we're talking about right now is basically us putting to practice right. what we talk about in the speech and reasoning course. So the speech and reasoning course basically gives people principles to function by so that they can see the world in the way that, that scripture presents it. 
which leads me to to maybe our final con conclusory, you know, question, which would be, how does your biblical hermeneutic impact your worldview and your ability to see issues, like especially the complex ones, especially the ones that where there's chaos or disinformation associated with it? How does your biblical worldview, um, how is it framed by the way that you see scripture? Yeah. So I'll never forget, I, I heard a, a, a pastor, he used this illustration. He said, you know, I, he said, I have, the, I have the NFL network. And so I get to watch replays of games. And so he says, if I'm watching a replay of, of a game that my team played in, and I know my team's going to win that game, as I'm watching a game unfold, I don't get upset. I don't get upset or excited or nervous. Mm -hmm. I know how it ends. Yeah. And so I have a book that tells me how it ends. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have to, I don't have to fight, protest, get uptight about how this election went or that election went or this issue went, that issue went. I know how this is going to work out. Right. Right. And so here's what I know. I know for a fact that the gospel is the answer. I know that mm -hmm. there is no other answer. That's the gospel. So let's, let's just pretend for a moment that that we are able to right all the wrongs of social injustice, mm -hmm. or or the or, or the the episodes of of the of the social injustices we've seen over the last two years. Yeah. Let's say we can make all that right. What about their soul? We still haven't addressed their ultimate issue, mm -hmm. which is. They need Christ, yeah. right? Over the years, we we hear a lot of talk about peace in the Middle East, right? We, we hear about that, peace in the Middle East. And well, I know how that's going to work out. And I know how it's not going to work out. We are never going to truly achieve that until the millennial reign of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm watching all these different narratives unfold and different um, social and political initiatives take off, I... I know what the book says. Yeah. And so I just say, well, that that that's well-meaning and it sounds great, except that's just not going to work because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. So there will be no peace unless he is at the center of that equation. So yeah. whatever efforts you're, you're, you're trying or using, they can't last. That's what I'm saying. It's lasting and sustaining change is only found in and through the person of Christ and his word. Yeah. So. And so not only uh, is that reassuring, but it's also uh, focusing. Yes. So like, I think I think we have a reassurance the average individual doesn't have. And so, you know, the lost person aligns themselves with a political view or an ideology and they're, they're hoping in hope, right? They're hoping right. that it's going to work out and right. they hope that they're on the right side of history. Right? right, which is what we hear all the time. And and ultimately, uh, they don't know it's just a gamble for them. Uh, but we have a reassurance. And then we also have a focus because as we're reassured, we recognize that, that the value that we bring to the table is an open an open mouth and a faith-filled heart and a, and a book that, that pierces yeah. and divides. And, um, and so if we apply ourselves to that, I mean, we can have a we can have a valuable and worthwhile life even if everything around us is falling apart or seems to be falling apart. And this is in the in the spirit of what you're saying. I, I it resonates with me in terms of 
this is Paul's heart in mm-hmm. First Thessalonians chapter four, where he's giving the doctrine and the promise of the rapture, where he says, "Hey, I don't want you to sorrow as other men who don't have hope. Mm-hmm. You have it, yeah, right. And let me tell you about that hope. And so mm-hmm. our that's our hope, yeah. And so like again, we know how this ends. And so until that time, though, we have work to do as ambassadors. Yeah. That's who we are. We are ambassadors and we are ministers of reconciliation. And our job is to win people to Jesus Christ and make disciples out of them. Mm-hmm. That's our call. Yeah. That's our mission. That's our job. And so I'm not looking to align anyone politically, socially, any of that, mm-hmm. because if we want them to Christ and we disciple them, we've solved everything we need yeah. to solve. Yeah. That's really good, man. Thank you. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me. And we want to invite you to take speech and reasoning with Pastor Kenny Morgan. So like if this conversation for you has been interesting and lively and you want to learn more about the things that we're talking about, because we're only just touching the surface. This is really just a conversation about the stuff that we know is in the class. But but if you're interested, visit lfbi.org. Sign up today for the speech and reasoning class. We're we're offering it again this summer as a self-paced course. And uh, we would love to have you a part of that and, uh, and, and have you learning from uh, men who've, who've devoted time and energy to understanding these topics in depth, uh, uh, Pastor Kenny Morgan included in that. And so uh, with that, we also want to invite you to like and share and subscribe uh, on all the platforms that we offer this show on. Uh, Our podcast is on all the major podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube. Follow us there. Uh, But the more that you share this content out is another way for, for our view on scripture, our belief, our faith in God's word, our faith-based perspective of God's word uh, to permeate the lives of other believers and people you know uh, that they might ask you questions. And so if you can if you can share this and you're hearing this stuff and it's and it's valuable to you and, and you think other people would benefit from it, uh, please continue to share it. But we love you and we're, we're more importantly than anything, we are so thankful that you listen. We value you so much. We love you and we ask that God would bless you and we'll see you next week.